0: So sleeping sickness in Uganda was a bit like COVID for us today. It was a catastrophe for for Uganda.
1: It makes us unique. Uganda took a decision that it puts in place an institutional framework, which is a one-headed institutional
2: framework. If you take out wildlife and biodiversity and these reservoirs, these natural reservoirs of infection that we have, it's not one health at all, it's three-quarters health. And that's not good enough.
3: Last year, we actually had zero cases in that area. So, uh, you know, it's been a long haul. It's been like a relay.
4: We feel proud of being able to be part of the initiative that has managed to suppress sleeping sickness in humans, as well as creating improvement in animal welfare.
5: It's made my life. I, uh, you know, it'll be written on my tombstone more than was very keen on tetsu flies. (laughs) This is an African
6: success story. It involves a victory against a deadly disease that threatened the lives of people and animals throughout the continent in a campaign organized by the public and private sectors working together ...that has left behind it a positive legacy of new businesses... ...which in turn are creating employment in regions that were once wracked by civil war and insurgency. Sounds too good to be true? Well, stay with me. The researchers here in Uganda have proved that the movement of cattle from region to region... ...has been linked with the spread of the acute or more serious form of sleeping sickness. My name's Nick Wood... And this was me back in 2009 in Uganda, reporting on a potential perfect storm of two strains of trypanosomiasis, or sleeping sickness, which was brewing in the northern districts of the country, in areas that had already been devastated by Africa's longest-running guerrilla insurgency crisis. Now, just bear with me while I give you the scientific background here. I can assure you it's worth it, because this is an amazing story, with lots of lessons to be learned, particularly after the pandemic we've all just encountered. But it's also worth knowing some of the nitty-gritty of the challenge that was being faced. When I went to Uganda, 60 million people were said to be at risk from sleeping sickness in Africa. And if you were unlucky enough to live in an area where there were inadequate medical facilities, you stood a very good chance of dying if you caught it. And just to make things worse, the symptoms for sleeping sickness are very similar to malaria. So often doctors would treat people for malaria and by the time they realised the misdiagnosis it was too late. And if you add in the fact that a lot of victims were young children you can see the potential size of the problem. Now I'm going to get really detailed. Sleeping sickness is a zoonotic disease which means it spreads from animals to humans. Uganda is the only country affected by both forms of sleeping sickness, also called human-animal trypanosomiasis, or HAT for short. And HAT is caused by two very similar species of trypanosomes, which are parasites transmitted by blood-sucking tsetse flies. Historically the two diseases known as acute and chronic HAT were geographically separated but were seen to be converging in Uganda and that set alarm bells ringing big time. The World Health Organization declared this a major public health emergency. Now researchers from various countries including Uganda itself of course we were already working out in the field on sleeping sickness and they had made some key discoveries. The first was that domestic farm cattle were acting as reservoirs for the disease carried by the tsetse fly. So tsetse flies would bite the cattle and then bite humans and spread the disease to them. Let's hear first from Professor Ian Maudlin. I'm sure he won't mind me calling him a veteran of the trypanosomiasis scene in Uganda. He worked out there in the region when the dreaded guerrilla group, the Lord's Resistance Army, often terrorized the area. Over 20 years later, when I spoke to him, he clearly recalls a eureka moment when it came to studying the disease. The thing
5: is that we had an idea that the that the root of the problem was in cattle, not in people, that cattle were the main reservoir of sleeping sickness. And, and there's a lot of DNA work and all this kind of stuff. But to cut a long story short, we thought that cattle were the problem. The problem with, uh, with sleeping sickness trypanosomes is they look identical under the microscope to a related species Uh, or subspecies, they're they're just subspecies of the same thing. So you've got Trypanosoma brucei, which infects cattle, not people, and Trypanosoma rhodesiense, which infects people and cattle. But to the microscope, they look identical. So till they got DNA working, nobody could tell the difference. And one of those brilliant
6: researchers involved in the DNA analysis eventually became his wife. Professor Sue Welburn would lead the Edinburgh University Veterinary School team, taking part in what became known as SOS, Stamp Out Sleeping Sickness.
0: Well, I mean, SOS arose out of an emergency situation. So I've been working in Uganda for almost 30 years now. And when I first started working in Uganda, nobody realised that cattle were a reservoir of human infection. But around 2005, we started to see uh, human sleeping sickness moving rapidly through Uganda, entering new districts, putting um, unprecedented pressure on the health systems. And we soon realised that the reason for this was actually that the disease was being moved with cattle. It was, uh, a lot of restocking was going on um, in the populations in this area. Cattle were bringing a new disease into the new districts, and the districts were really unable to cope. And individuals, of course, didn't know what the disease was. They assumed it was malaria, but it was the far more fatal um, infection of of human sleeping sickness. And there was a disconnect between people realising that tsetse flies transmitted this disease, but the tsetse flies were picking the disease up from cattle. So once we knew that, then it it laid the store really for, for something to be done about it.
6: One major component of the success story was the approach of the Ugandan authorities to the challenge of sleeping sickness they'd amalgamated various interested groups with a common goal, to defeat the disease. Now, this would involve veterinarians working shoulder to shoulder with human medics, and the politicians were supportive too, as was the famous veterinary school at Makareri University in Kampala. I spoke to Charles Wisewa, now Professor Charles Wisewa, on a line from Kampala who emphasised the importance of this decision in the success of the SOS campaign.
1: It makes us unique. Since 1992, when the epidemic of sleeping sickness was affecting in Uganda, Uganda took a decision that it puts in place an institutional framework, which is a one-headed institutional framework, that all the stakeholders who handle a problem of a zoonotic problem like sleeping sickness and for sleeping sickness in particular. They wanted to focus the attention for all the medical people, all the veterinarians, all the people working in environment, all the leadership in the local governments to work together and come and find solutions of eliminating this problem.
6: And according to Professor Sue Welburn, it was that decision to set up a public-private partnership, or PPP, that was a vital first step in the journey to defeat sleeping sickness, saving hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of lives in Africa.
0: And This is really unique. I mean, this was long time pre-COVID. Uh, when we hear a lot about One Health but they they set up a a One Health platform that brought together medics, brought together vets and it brought together uh, vector biologists to solve this problem together. So in fact a PPP was the obvious way to go because that actually just brought in the private sector into an established network of individuals that were all um, very focused on a shared ambition.
6: Charles Weiswer was put in charge of a group of final year veterinary students from Macquarie University who were charged with aiding the campaign. And this is where the other players from the private sector came in. They included the global veterinary health company Siva Santé Animal and iCare, the charitable arm of iK Investment Partners, a European private equity firm that had invested in Siva. ICARE's trustee and executive director, Anne Holm-Ranlit, recalls the moment that some business acumen was brought into the equation.
3: We sent some of the young vets into the field to do some reconnaissance and find out who else was working against sleeping sickness, how many farmers were they? And to cut a long story short, they basically came back and said, there's nothing there. Nobody's doing anything about it. There's no infrastructure, but we think there might be a market. So after some discussions with them and with SIVA, iCare and SIVA decided that we would let them, you know, we'd give a try to see if they could set up veterinary businesses, full-scale businesses to complement the few district veterinary officers and see if by selling all of veterinary products they could then also carry the sleeping sickness products if i put it that way and uh, after 18 to 24 months most of them were actually doing quite well and were sort of financially getting into shape and didn't need as much support and were becoming you know well known in the area and we could see sleeping sickness cases on the human side statistics being what they are, but the trend was clear. It was reducing.
6: They were known as the 3V vets. They would work with SIVA drugs to inject and cleanse the cattle. But the second part of this approach required spraying the lower quarters of the animals with a SIVA insecticide to prevent the tsetse flies biting them again. Farmers liked the fact that the spray also prevented disease-carrying ticks from biting their animals but the sheer volume of the work and the number of sprayers required to hand out repeat applications meant the 3V vets had to be involved in setting up spray teams, which added another strand to their business model.
4: When we are spraying, we target the the limbs, The hind limbs, the
6: front... That's Patrick Apondo talking to me back in 2009. He was one of the first students to form a 3V company in the SOS region. Well, this year he's not only still in business, but he's opened up new veterinary shops and employed many more sprayers. And has seen the cases of sleeping sickness plummet as a result, as he explained when I caught up with him online from his office in Uganda
4: yeah the, the, yes the spraying of cattle have continued with farmers and that has provided the best uh the basis for the for the business because we have uh, a big business and the farmers have continued to do it and they, on, on what i can state is that farmers have taken up this as a routine and they do it periodically after every one week or every two weeks from are able to to do the sprays. We have seen a big reduction in sleeping sickness cases over the years, and to the extent that in the whole of last year we did not see cases coming up. So we think uh, our interventions are yielding because they have been able to uh, create that suppression of the cases of sleeping sickness in the communities.
6: Receivers Martin Mitchell was a key figure in driving the company's involvement. When I caught up with him while visiting the Middle East recently, he'd just been appointed the group's chief sustainability officer. It was a very apt title for somebody who always worked towards creating the 3V Vets as standalone businesses.
2: Even at that time, projects were built and sustainability was always there, but were they really constructed with sustainability in mind? I think one thing that we brought as a private sector, uh, that SIVA together with our investors, iCare, was um, a perspective where we knew we would have to exit. And when you know that you're gonna leave, you've got to think about your legacy and you've got to think about how you're gonna train people locally uh, so that they are able to deliver whatever you want to achieve. And that's exactly what happened. So if, looking back now we have, I think, it, it, Five of the young veterinarians that we trained and we set up in business are still there. Now, that is a virtuous circle if ever I saw one, and, and that must be the uh, greatest outtake from this whole initiative.
6: Martin's enthusiasm and the will to succeed with the campaign is also remembered by Professor
5: Ian Maudlin. Martin Mitchell supplied us with any, with everything and anything we needed. It was just... Most of didn't pay for the, the drugs. They were just, they were just given uh, pro bono, I suppose. And, and so, in a way, they were acting in the public interest as well. You know, They may be, they may be a, a, a private company, but nonetheless, they did a lot of work, which was pro bono.
6: Well, I started this podcast by saying it was a success story, so there are no prizes for guessing that we have a happy ending for you. When the SOS campaign kicked into gear, there was an immediate drop in the number of cases of sleeping sickness throughout the region. That reduction continued year on year, to the point that in the last 12 months, zero sleeping sickness cases were recorded. Now, I can hear you say this is probably down to reduced monitoring due to covid Wrong. The monitoring continued throughout the pandemic. Let's hear again from Charles Weisler and Anne holm Remleet.
3: Looking at the numbers as they came through, zero, you first don't really believe it, you know, and then you look again. And even, as I told you, even if the numbers are maybe not 100%, because data collection is what it is in these countries, but the trend is so clear, you know, and and of course, it's, it's it's amazing to see that and know, But we've been part of it. It took 15 years. So you need a lot of patience. But, you know, when you have complex issues, I think you have to accept that you will not have a silver bullet. You will not change things like that. But you have to build, you know, you have to make sure there is what I call an infrastructure in place that can be there, that builds that community trust. And, uh, you know, and you need that vision that it can be done. So it's it's great.
1: We had a meeting of WHO two weeks ago. I think Uganda is among those countries that based on what the reports are who have eliminated sleeping sickness as a public health, health problem. And here we are. So professionally, I'm proud to be associated to having been given the opportunity by the partners who are in the SOS, by the government of Uganda, by everyone who worked with, including the livestock owners, including the people who are being affected by this disease. But for Uganda, we still maintain that if we have tools that can keep the disease away, professional, I think for me, I'm happy to be associated with that.
6: So a huge human and veterinary disease disaster was averted. Lives were saved and, very important, new businesses and hundreds of related jobs have been generated. It's also created a fascinating public-private model that mirrored in many ways the methods used to tackle the COVID pandemic. Of course, vigilance is still needed and those 3V vets will continue to expand and that spraying is continuing. Patrick Apondo is already branching out into the poultry sector. He told me he's helping to protect flocks of Ugandan chickens in the districts where he works from the deadly Newcastle disease. So let's finish this podcast with a few thoughts from our SOS warriors on their role in the campaign.
2: Ten years ago as a company we committed to become a One Health company and our experiences through SOS in Uganda really confirmed that that was the the right decision. I mean why is it so important? Well we know that three quarters of all uh, human infectious diseases come from animals and three quarters of those come from wildlife so if you, if you look at One Health, if you take out uh, wildlife and biodiversity and these reservoirs, these natural reservoirs of infection that we have, it's not One Health at all, it's three-quarters health, and that's not good enough. I mean, the world health is at stake here. In this case, it was domestic cattle that had become the reservoir of infection, but the principles remain the same, and we have to be more prepared.
0: What I'm probably most proud of is, is that it's an example of a PPP that's worked, it's shown direct benefits to the communities, it's been appreciated by government, but also it's shown the way for other um, infectious diseases and how we should approach other infectious diseases. But perhaps the most satisfying piece of all is this interplay between all of the different actors. You know, I wouldn't have imagined 25 years ago that I would be working with the private sector and and, and with government in, in creating something really quite special. Um, and effective and sustainable for those communities.
4: We as the 3G feel proud of being able to be part of the initiative that has managed to suppress uh, sleeping sickness in humans, as well as creating improvement in animal welfare and the increasing livelihood of the people.
5: It's made my life, I, I, uh, if, uh, you know, it'll be written on my tombstone, more than was very keen on testifies. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, more than Tetsubarizan japanisomes were his thing. RIP. <laughs> so there
6: you have it. A pioneering approach to disease prevention and job creation in a perfect example of One Health in action. Thanks to all of our participants for taking the time to join me on this broadcast. And remember, watch out for future programs on Siva Sounds. It's been great to share this success story with you.